1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports
0: Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey, happy Wednesday to you. And uh, Wednesday? It is Wednesday. Oh, man. Dude, there were points through today. I thought it was a Tuesday, and then there were other points. I thought it was a Thursday. Never has it felt like a Wednesday, but it is a Wednesday indeed. And uh, we we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery today. We're going to have our KU mailbag later this hour. We're going to have Henry State. Greenstein. Still have time to submit questions. Yeah, you do. At RCST 1320 or RCST 1320 AM at gmail.com. Uh, Henry Greenstein at 425. We got loads of KU audio from football that we're going to get to you. And tonight's also the uh, KU women's basketball season opener, which you can hear here on KLWN pregame 615 for that one. So I, I, we, we kind of toiled with going back and forth on that. We're going to get to some KU Texas Tech. Thoughts uh, kind of midweek right right off the bat here. Uh, before we do get into that, we, we kind of toiled with the idea. Should we talk about this? Should we not? Because it seems like it's a very unsubstantiated rumor. And from that standpoint, I'm not even going to mention this guy's name um, because I don't want him to get the clout for this in case it is just an unsubstantiated rumor. But there's this Michigan State guy who basically put something out there that MSU interviewed Lance Leipold yesterday. Uh, again, this guy does not seem to be the most, like, Reputable. Source, reputable guy. And I don't even know why, but I had him blocked on social <laughs> media beforehand. So I don't know what that says necessarily. More about me or him. But either way, um, again, like huge grain of salt on this stuff because I don't know that I trust it. I more so just wanted to bring it up because I, I do have kind of a, a I don't know, maybe twisted view on this sort of thing and or there already has been other stuff out there with yeah. Lance Leipold in Michigan State, whether it's been on boards or the athletic or whatever. Here, here,
2: here, here's what I'll say: I am getting real sick and tired of people in from more of a national media. Nobody, in, nobody locally has had this thought process at all, but from a national media perspective, I am getting sick and tired of people being like. Well, obviously Lance Leipold would just leave Kansas. I mean, I'll, I mean, it's 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 a no brainer. He would leave Kansas for some Big Ten school. We're, we're the Big Ten. No, it's ridiculous. That thought, thought process after last is night,
0: ridiculous. You see Kansas number sixteen in the I college mean, football player rankings. Michigan like, State sucks. Well, okay, they suck. Think about this. Like you see Kansas last night. That to me was kind of appalling to see them being number sixteen. Not that it was a crazy ranking, but that like. Just to to, to like, formulate in your mind where this program has been, and now they're 16th in the college football playoff rankings, yeah. and knowing that next year with the 12-team expansion, that you would be in the hunt for yes. making the college football playoff yes. Kansas. So, like, you know, what, what are you necessarily doing?
2: But so I'm it, just getting real sick and tired of that crap. Yeah, where so people I, I are know. like, well, it's just a foregone conclusion that obviously, I mean, why, why would you want to stay at Cancer? Sure. I mean, pff, what, what do we do? Like, that that, that just really, I'm, I'm sick and tired of that. And it's probably going to continue. And I think the big thing here is, is that, there's going to be more of these reports, I'm sure, as as we as we move sure. forward and with the rest of the season uh, until you know something happens until either KU maybe makes a new contract with Lance Leipold, like they did with Bill Self, maybe that'll quell some of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would expect more of of crap like this to continue to to be coming up for the near future.
0: Sure. And so, could he have interviewed for the job? Of course, absolutely. But here's kind of my thought: on I I think this is interesting. You look at the timeline here. Go back to yesterday, Bill Self signs the contract extension, gets a bunch of money. And one of the things that we said as part of that was, well, okay, listen, Lance Leipold is, is doing a great job and he's getting all this interest from these other jobs. You're probably going to have to give him another pay raise this offseason, right? From making like $5 million a year, maybe it's 6 7 8 nine, I don't know, maybe even $10 million. At the same point in time, as great as Lance Leipold's been, Bill Self is a two-time national champion coach who is coaching the you know one of the most successful basketball programs in the country and has been here for two decades, you're not going to make Lance Leipold making more money than Bill Self. So, basically, if you want to give Lance Leipold more money, you also have to turn to Bill Self and say, okay, you need more money so it gives you more of a ceiling of what you can give to Lance Leipold. So yeah. that happens yesterday. Today, this comes out, which I don't know. Again, this, this guy might not be plugged in at all and this might just be completely random. It could also be a, a one of those source leakings where it's, hey, let's put some feelers out there so that now Travis Goff is like, oh, no, I really got to pay Lance Leipold, right? It could be something like that. And there was kind of a press conference today, and uh, Travis Goff said uh, he, he made it clear he wanted to keep both Self and Leipold for a long time. He said, I want these two guys to coach until the wheels fall off, and we want them, of course, to coach right here in Kansas. So, I mean,
2: obviously it's a priority for KU. Yeah. Um, well, hey, again, I, I think that's stupid because it's like, What's Travis Guff gonna say? No, actually, we're good. It's okay if he leaves. Well, no, no, but <laughs> it's okay if yeah, of, course,
0: leaves. of course. But what if, like, as part of the negotiation, they were like, Hey, we bumped up self. Now we're gonna offer Leipold seven, eight million dollars, and then Leipold's camp is like, Hey, let's leak this, put the pressure on, and then KU comes back and they're like, Okay, we'll give you nine or ten, you know, just please stay. Yeah, right? I'm just I don't know. That might be conspiracy so, tinfoil hat, but I'm just it is so
2: what it is. totally over all of it already. I do not care until something legitimately happens one way or the other, I, I don't care. And I'm not going to panic and I'm not going to freak out and I don't want to waste really too much time further dissecting this because it, it just I don't think it matters right now. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, well, let's get into our KU Texas Tech thoughts. That game on Saturday, 11 o'clock are gonna we're gonna have our pregame show at Big Mill 8:30. And uh, Kisker will be there till 10:30 before the game with our KU tailgating show. Let's start with what uh, KU or what Texas Tech does offensively. So here's what they do well offensively. They're 28th overall on ESPN SB Plus. So just overall, they are a really good offense. Baron Morton has really good stats. So it was Tyler Shuck to start. He gets injured. Baron Morton comes in. Morton gets injured. The third string comes in, but Morton gets healthy again. Now he's back to it. Overall, Morton has 13 touchdowns to just two interceptions. So he's been you know, pretty good. And last week against TCU, he had 282 yards on 78% completion rate with three total touchdowns to zero interceptions. So the stats look really good on a kid who's a former four-star recruit, I think from the Abilene area, and, and really kind of blew up in his recruitment and is uh, now at Tech. Really good pass-blocking team. 21st in the country on pro football focus and pass blocking grade. Uh, For what it's worth with run blocking, they're 41st, so good, not great. Uh, The skill players are good with the ball in their hands, making players miss. And they're ninth in the Big 12 in yards per run at 4.6, so that doesn't sound great. But specifically when Taj Brooks gets the ball, who's their lead running back, he has been one of the best running backs in the nation that you have to deal with. Overall, this is a aggressive offense. It's a fast-paced offense. They are 12th in the country in plays per game, so they go with tempo. And they are second in the Big 12 in fourth down attempts while converting them at 67%. So aggressive, fast, explosive, and a really good running back.
2: Yeah, and something to make, Yeah, with Tosh Brooks, uh, I believe he's sixth in the country in rushing yards with over 1,000. Uh, might be set, sixth or seventh. Uh, in the country in rushing yards, over a thousand rushing yards for Taj Brooks. And so, yeah, this is not this is not your Texas Tech that you maybe grew up watching where they're just gonna pass a bajillion times the game and run that spread offense. they w- they will run the ball and they will try to run the ball and be more of a balanced offense. but what that where where you do still see that infusion of of old Texas Tech is like what you alluded to, which is they're gonna run a lot of plays. They're gonna they're gonna get up and run a lot of plays. And, you know, Kansas in the past has struggled with with that. but, you look at their recent results, they did pretty good against Oklahoma. Uh, against Oklahoma State they struggled, but they've been better, I think, this season overall against more up-tempo teams than they were last year. And Brian Borland kind of touched on that actually earlier today uh, in his press conference saying that he feels like looking at the tape from last season of, the, of when KU played Texas Tech, he seems to see a, a difference in how KU's handling uh, up-tempo this season compared to last season. Uh, so that's a positive sign. So uh, that, that's where they do still have kind of that Texas Tech of And Yeah, listen, I think Baron Morton is is a pretty underrated quarterback. I think he's definitely got a lot of skills and uh, can definitely be dangerous in a lot of different areas. So uh, they, this is this is not a team to, to to sneeze at. And listen, the metrics love Texas Tech. I mean, you look across the board. A lot of the metrics really, really like Texas Tech uh, in terms of what they are a- analytically. And the other thing I will say about Texas Tech, I was I was looking into some more stats on Texas Tech and more things on Texas Tech. Uh, they are the only team in the Big 12 that has a kickoff return for touchdown and a punt return for yep. touchdown. So they've been good in special teams, specifically with returning. Twenty first
0: on SP Plus.
2: Yeah, so they they've been good. At they with, also at lead returning the league kicks, in net yards per punt. Which you know to circle back though, what has Damon Greaves done pretty well so far this season? He doesn't allow a lot of returns. So that I think that's an area to maybe keep an eye on as well when we get into this game is how KU handles that because Texas Tech has been pretty good in both punt and kick returns so far this season. They've been effective. They're second in the Big Twelve in average punt return yards, so basically when they do return punts, they've done a pretty good job of, of getting good yardage out of it, uh, which can be beneficial in terms of flipping the field and getting field position and whatnot. So that's something else that uh, I'll be keeping an eye on heading into this game. But, but yeah, this is a, a Texas Tech team that, listen, even though they are have underperformed and you look at their record and they're, they're, their record doesn't look very great, to me this is still a very dangerous team and a team that Kansas has to certainly take very seriously seriously. Uh, especially with the Kansas State game looming. I don't expect KU to have a look-ahead type mentality because that's not who they are. That's not what this coaching staff is about. I don't think they're going to be doing that. But I think it is worth noting that you know, you're know you going to have the, the biggest mm-hmm. Sunflower Showdown maybe ever coming up in, in you know 11 days, 12 days, whatever it is. And guys might be looking ahead to it, but I don't think you can do that because this is a game where Texas Tech is going to be coming in very, very hungry. They you know, they are on the press B of becoming bowl eligible. And guess what? Their last game of the season is Texas, and they're sitting at four and five right now. So if you're Texas Tech and your last game of the season is Texas, you probably want to get to six and five so you don't have to, you know, be playing for your bowl eligibility lives against Texas. So they're gonna be coming in pretty desperate, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't expect Kansas to be overlooking them, but this is a team that I think you definitely have to take pretty seriously. All right, now as far as what they do bad on
0: the offensive side of the ball, they are overall just 11th in yards per play in the Big 12, which is uh, kind of weird to see uh, given everything there. Um, Baron Morton has a ton of potential. Like I said, the stats look good, 13 total touchdowns, two interceptions, but he, he doesn't always do it in key moments. He is just 11th right now in the Big 12 in total QBR at 58.4, which, I mean – you know, that, that's still giving you a good chance to win most weeks. The fact that he's 11th at 58.4 speaks pretty well to the Big 12 QBs. But nonetheless, I mean, that leaves an opening that there are some times where things go uh, south for for Baron Morton. And uh, they are 13th in the Big 12 in yards per throw. They also have the second most interceptions thrown in the league with 12. Now, Morton only has two of those, and a lot of those come from the third-string quarterback Shuck through a, a decent amount early in the season before he got hurt. But that has been a problem for Texas Tech. They have thrown interceptions. Now you have a ball-hawking uh, KU defense. So uh, that'll be kind of interesting to monitor for the KU defensive side of the ball. Over to the Texas Tech defense, though, what they do well on that side of the ball. They're kind of just, I, I, I don't know, I didn't know if I should put this in good or bad. I, I guess more so it's good than bad. Uh, 53rd in the country on ESPN SP+. So overall, they've been about an average, above-average type of defense if you're looking at it like nationally. Um, they are 4th in the Big 12 in yards allowed per play, though. So, top four in yards allowed per play. They are fifth in the Big 12 in yards allowed per run. And they are third in the Big 12 in yards allowed per pass. So, every way you look at it, they're not giving up a lot of yards per play. And that makes them a dangerous defense. They're also 15th on pro football focus in tackling grade. So, you have a good tackling team who does not give up a lot of yards per play. I think this, like, it's weird that, I don't know, I almost feel like
2: their defense is better than their offense. Oddly enough. Could be. Could be. I think their defense is the definition of average. Okay. But again, fourth in the Big
0: 12 in yards allowed per play. Yeah. Fifth in in per round. When you look
2: at the yardage they give up and their scoring defense, they're all like literally between sixth and eighth of the Big 12. What
0: I think it is to me is that I actually, like I said, I kind of like the defense almost a little more than the offense, and it's the the turnovers that I think have have led to issues for maybe the defense. Because – when you have the team who's throwing the second most interceptions in the league, you're probably setting up your defense into a lot of short fields or a lot of tough situations where you're going to give up points. Whereas the Texas tech defense has actually kind of struggled to force turnovers. Like if we get into what they've done bad so far here, they haven't been like a big turnover forcing team. And so if you're not forcing a lot of turnovers and your offense is turning over a lot, your defense is going to get the brunt of that. They're going to give up the points, but realistically that's more of the offense's fault. But anyway, um, The things they don't do as well, they're only 79th in pro football focus and pass rush grade, and that's reflected they're only 12th in the Big 12 in sacks right now. They're also 83rd in coverage grade and 11th of the 14 teams in the Big 12 in completion percentage against. So even though they're not – basically, teams have been able to throw short consistently on Texas Tech, but they're not able to hit them deep very often because the fact that they're 11th in completion percentage against but third in yards allowed per pass – tells me that if you can basically death by a 1,000 paper cuts to them, they're going to have trouble. Which, But I find that interesting for KU because, because they have been more of a big play passing offense.
2: Jason Bean likes to sling it. He does. And so if <laughs> you're playing short.
0: a defense that does better against the long ball than the short stuff, <laughs> I don't know that that bodes
2: well for KU. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, the thing about it is, Jason Bean's playing with such a high level of confidence, and the receivers I think are playing with such a high level of confidence in him making throws that I don't know, man. We'll see, but I I, I don't know. Jason Bean has been throwing it downfield pretty effectively, so that is interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I, and maybe part of maybe part of the messaging from the coaching staff is, hey, in a game like this, maybe you do need to look more underneath if you're Jason Bean. But that just hasn't really been his mo, and it never has been. It, it's never been his mo, so. I don't know what to I don't know what to make of that, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. But we've seen him improve with some of the timing stuff and those short routes as the games have gone on. So that's good news. Uh something else. Tech is only eighth in the Big Twelve and third down conversion defense. So, you know, below average, I guess you would say. Hey, here's one thing that's interesting, though. This is actually a game between the two worst red zone defenses in the Big Twelve. KU right now is fourteenth in red zone defense. Texas Tech is thirteenth. <laughs> so which red zone defense makes like one stop, holds
2: holds to two field goals yeah. or
0: something? Like that could be the difference. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, the books, Vegas seems to think this is going to be a pretty close game. Mm-hmm. So, to your point, that red zone defense could be the difference between possibly winning and losing the game if it's going to be a tight a tight game like that.
0: Yeah, and I was a little surprised when I saw the line came out. I think it I think opened a, at three and a half, four. 4 Yeah, yeah I think a lot of there. people were. I thought it was going to be closer to 10 to 14. Yeah. Then I started doing a little bit more of a dive into Tech and how, yeah, okay, they, they had some I, losses <laughs> when the third string quarterback, they, they had close, like they only lost to Oregon by eight points, who's been one of the best teams in the country. I think they're better than the record shows. Oh, for and sure. then I, I looked into this and I was like, oh, Kansas has never beaten Texas Tech in football by more than three points. Well, aren't
2: they like two and they're two 20? and
0: twenty-two against yeah. them, and both wins came by three. Well, so they've well, never beaten one them of by those four wins more. Should not have even happened.
2: <laughs> the yeah, probably not. Block fumble.
0: But I guess uh, theoretically, what that means is you're saying if Texas Tech is getting three and a half or four points will Kansas have their best win ever against Texas Tech? Because that's what you need for them to cover the four, <laughs> which is pretty crazy to think about. But, yeah, I, I definitely view this as a game where if Kansas is locked in and focused on this game, like you said, and not looking ahead to the Kansas State game, yeah. I think they win the game. I think you lose the game if you if you do have that lack of focus.
2: I mean, we've talked about it a lot. The difference between Kansas at home versus on the road has been profound, right? So you would expect it, the weather's not going to be a factor. It's going to be nice. So you would expect a pretty big turnout from the crowd. And, you know, people were kind of dogging KU, whatever, for the Oklahoma game with, with people leaving. You know, it, that was crappy weather. So, you know, whatever. But uh, it's going to be nice weather. You would think the student section, everybody's going to be in the stadium keeping it loud the whole time. And that should that, that should boost Kansas because it, it, I mean, clearly it's boosted them throughout the course of this season uh, so far. So hopefully that helps them get up. And I think you're right. I think if, KU, if KU's focused and KU's locked in, They're the better team, and they should take care of business here against Texas Tech. But, again, Texas Tech is, I think they're a team that's definitely better than their record. Mm -hmm. And if you start thinking about Kansas State, maybe that impacts this game a little bit. But, again, there's been no indication over the course of Lance Leipold being at KU that this is a type of coaching staff that is going to let something like that fly, that is going to let talk of the next opponent Get in, get in, you know at, at all right. There's been no indication that that's anything that they're going to allow to happen. So I don't I don't first expect that to happen, but I do think that this game could be closer than maybe some KU fans expect it to be. I don't you can't just look at Tech's record and go off that. They're definitely a much better team. Agreed. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek
0: Johnson. We're going to get to our KU mailbag in about 20 minutes from right now. Coming up next, KU women's basketball opens the season tonight. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. About half past three, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll get to our KU mailbag coming up next. Uh, you can hear the KU Women's Basketball game tonight at 6.15 here on KLWN. And uh, our sister station, 105.9 KISS, will be airing the Hawk Talk with Lance Leipold and Brian Haney. Uh, so KU Women's Basketball taking on Northwestern State tonight for that game. we tip off at 6.30. Uh, this is uh, a kind of nice, easy I don't know. Walk into the season for KU. Northwestern State was uh, 11 and 18 last season and lost their season opener to Nebraska, 90 to 42. Certainly, you would think Kansas should be able to win big tonight. Um, I guess some other news from KU women's basketball: they they signed their three woman recruiting class uh, with Zoe Canfield, who's a uh, three point marksman from Washburn Rural, Carla Osma, who is a six one guard with uh, a lot of international experience playing for Spain and then Reagan Williams who's a uh, 6-2 forward from the Kansas City area but uh, tonight's just going to be I think to me just kind of trying to figure out the rotation uh, we, we heard from Brandon Schneider at KU Women's Basketball Media Day and it feels like the starting five is pretty locked in yeah you know with with the four returners and then Samaya Nichols but who are going to develop into those backup roles right because you look at the backup center position could it be uh i think uh, el tayeb is is dealing with an injury right now so i i don't know how that'll affect things there but could it be uh her could it be sophia Telegdi? could it be uh Papadopoulou? or or maybe it was her who was injured i i can't remember um could it be you know i i don't know uh paris Gaines or something like that like uh, there's going to be options who is going to be that backup center to Tyana Jackson. Who's going to be the first guard off the bench? Is it going to be Laya Conesa, the, the young freshman from Barcelona? Is it you know going to be more of a wing type with Skylar Gill, who was a two-time defensive player of the year at a previous stop at a previous conference, right? like It's it's kind of developing those other roles that I think are going to be most interesting here tonight in some of these early season games for the KU woman.
2: Yeah, and on top of that, remember, the, this was a, a situation where members of the team went to Brandon Snyder and said, hey, we want to play a tougher Mm non-conference schedule. And the result of that is you're not going to get very many games like tonight where it should be one where you maybe should be able to win pretty easily and have some opportunities to figure things out because guess what? You're going to Penn State (laughs) after this game. And then you got the Cayman Islands Classic. And then later on, you've got Texas A&M and uh, Wichita State. So uh, and then Nebraska at home. So there's a, a lot of tough games on this non-conference schedule for Kansas, where you're not you might not have very many games to where you can just kind of settle in and have a chance to to pick up a, a quote-unquote easy W uh, for KU. So basically, in a game like this, you want to take advantage of that and hopefully gain a lot of experience that you can move forward with. The good news is. Obviously, you shouldn't really need too many games to gain experience because you've got a very, very, very experienced team, and you've got a freshman in Samaya Nichols that certainly does not act like a freshman. Certainly does not have the demeanor of a freshman. Seems like she's she's fitting right in with the veteran players. But to your point, you do want to figure out what you what you might have beyond that starting five with the mm. depth uh, of this team, because you may have to, you know, you, for whatever reason, you might have to utilize some of that depth in some of these next upcoming games. So. Yeah, it's it's a big game, and uh, it's it's exciting to have KU back. The other thing I will note is, I don't know if you look at their schedule, Derek. After tonight, KU's next game, home game at Allen Fieldhouse is not until November thirtieth. So, if you're wanting to have a chance to maybe see KU early in the season after tonight, it's going to be a while until November thirtieth before they'll, they'll be back home uh, at Allen Fieldhouse. So that was just something something else. You know, they go at Penn State. They have that game against Kansas City, which is. In, uh, in Kansas City, right? So it's a road game, but only, you know, 40 minutes or whatever. Then, then they have the Cayman Islands Classic uh, before their next home game, which is November 30th, you know, so over three weeks away. Yeah.
0: And uh, I probably should have mentioned Ryan Cobbins when I was going over the rotation. It seems like she'll probably be in there, the uh, transfer from Alabama, who's kind of a guard forward type. So uh, we'll see how that goes tonight and how the rotation works out. And uh, I guess, like you mentioned, they are playing Nebraska, so maybe you'll have a bit of a comparison of, oh, how bad did you beat them? How bad did Nebraska beat them? <laughs> All those sorts of things. And
2: So the Nebraska game is not until mm-hmm. December 20th.
0: And that so. was one last year that was a crazy game. It was like double, triple overtime, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah.
2: A so. game that KU, I think, felt like they should have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they ended up losing that one, so. Yeah,
0: so that one happening tonight at 6.30. Pregame will start at 6.15 right here on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. We've got our KU mailbag coming up next on RCST. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch service makes my body feel loose and limber and gets rid of some of those day-to-day aches I have from a long day at the office or working out at the gym. During the stretches, all you need to do is relax and breathe deep and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have massages, rapid tension services, and advanced skin care. That's Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and South Black Bob Road in Elay. Time for our KU mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. You can do that. All you gotta do is go to at RCST1320 on Twitter or if you want to just email us, RCST1320 AM at gmail.com. Best segment of the show, baby. First is a uh submission from William. If Derek keeps picking against KU football, can we go undefeated the rest of the season? True, you picked against them the past. Wait, hold on! I picked them against Oklahoma. Did you with the spread as part of our KU game picks? (laughs) Okay. You didn't pick them against OU either. If we're going back to the preseason, (laughs) I picked them to beat Oklahoma. So we going back that far because I did. I I don't think I picked them to beat Oklahoma. Okay, so because I did in the preseason. So. (laughs) But I I, literally picked every game. I'm trying to think. Maybe uh, you've picked them every game in KU game picks. Uh, ex- well, yes, I think so. Why, okay, maybe we I, sh- I picked them in. I picked them in in a cave game picks in Oklahoma too. Okay. I picked them every game. I am pretty sure. So, okay, again, I, I picked them against you. I picked-
2: was think about it. How have they how have they done against the spread this year? They've done pretty good. I don't know. That's a good question. I picked them. I know I picked them against Nevada. That one didn't work out. Yeah, that that one I picked them too. Um, so let's see: Missouri State, yep. Illinois, yes. Nevada, no. Uh, BYU, yes. Uh, what was after that? Texas? Texas, mm-hmm. no. UCF, yes. Oklahoma State, no. I don't know what the line was. was it closer I picked than seven? Kansas against Oklahoma State. Was the line better than, closer than seven? It was like... I think it was. I don't even remember. So they didn't cover there, I don't think. you favored, I think, in that one. Oh, they were? Yeah. Okay, so Oklahoma they definitely did. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Oklahoma, yes. And yeah, uh, what Iowa State? Yes. Yeah. So, so they only I, so they only have
0: it covered twice. I've I picked them. So they've played what nine games at this point. So are they
2: seven and two? I
0: picked them four or five times
2: in the spread. So in the, with So was off.
0: <laughs> um. Anyway, though, see, okay, this is why I don't want, like. Uh, maybe we'll just get rid of for the KU game picks. Maybe we'll just make it strictly over under and prop bets. Why? Because it, it, this is what's stupid. <laughs> if I pick people Kansas, think, people think you're a hater every time then it's just like, okay, what are we even doing here? You're just picking Kansas every time and appeasing the fan base who's listening to the show. <laughs> if I don't pick Kansas, then I'm the hater. And if I mix and match it just based on what I actually think, like I have done this year, where it's like <laughs> I've picked them four or five times, then I get this anyway. Just Well, oh, I mean, I pick the Chiefs every single time. Also. So it's like it's like but again, if that's the point, if the only way to quote unquote win is to just pick them every time, why even do it? <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe this Friday we start doing that. Anyway, uh, I don't know. Uh, do also, which team will have a better record after nine games, football or men's basketball? So football is 7-2, so and two, two. obviously. Will
2: men's basketball be... Will men's basketball be 7-2? and two? To be so better, they have to go 8-1,
0: though. So what, what's their ninth game? Okay, so you have... Uh,
2: so they're going to play three in You should be able Maui. to be... Yeah, okay.
0: So they'll be at six after Maui, seven is Eastern Illinois, eight is UConn, nine is UMKC. So basically, do you think they are either going to... Win Maui or beat UConn. I think that's
2: the question, right?
0: Well, okay, yeah. Basically, to be better at eight and one, that means between Kentucky, your two Maui games that are not Shamanad and UConn, you'd have to win so three basically of those. four top fifteen games. You have to go three and one. I think they can go three and one of on those. They can. If we're giving the tie to football, I would take football because the, uh, the margin just okay, slim with basketball. Yeah, we're going push. He doesn't say that in here. That's fair. Honestly, I think push would be the way to go.
2: Yeah. I'll go with men's basketball I think they can go three in right. one I think they can go three in one because dude Calipari ain't no way pretty good that clown is winning the champion is winning in the Champions classic so then all you got to do is either beat Yukon which is at home or win Maui that's easier said than done. I mean, that, that's a really hard schedule. No, so I know. You
0: can go Maui 7 Southern is- two in the first nine and actually feel great about Oh, where absolutely.
2: Because, well, I mean, we, you know, we, know, we know about the teams in Maui. Mm-hmm. The teams in Maui, it's insane. I mean, you got like Tennessee, Marquette, uh, Gonzaga. Is, Gonzaga's, Gonzaga's there. Gonzaga's there. Purdue, Gonzaga, Purdue. UCLA. Yeah. Like, yeah. to win Maui would be very impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you over. give
0: me tie, I'm going football, but. Okay. Yeah, I'll just say over. This one from Scott. You can bring back any KU player to be the fifth starter on this year's team, but they cannot have been an All-American or All Big 12 first or second team selection. Who do you mm. pick?
1: I'll be honest, there were okay. there were a lot
0: of names that started to surface when I thought about this and I was like, "Okay, cl- surely they were not a uh, second team pick." Were they? And they were. <laughs> so I was like, I, I was like going back and it was like, yeah, oh, we had to "Man, do some they research. were second team pick." Like I was like, "Okay, did Wayne Seldon get second team or was he just like third team?" Is you know, and he's like, "No, he got a second team, Okay. hey." You can't do that. And so so it ends up with a, a smaller list than you might have hoped. But I don't know. I have a couple names that, that certainly come to mind. Kay. Russell Robinson. I think that would be one that maybe the fit wouldn't be as best as you would hope because he's yeah. not a great shooter. Yeah. But I mean, think and about when, that. And wouldn't he want the ball more? Well, he was able to. I mean, they, they, Russell Robinson, Mario Chalmers, Ron Collins, all like rotated okay. kind of in the in the point guard spot, so okay. to speak. So he'd be fine playing with DeWan Harris. I think you'd have two ball handlers at that point, point. and also the fact that you don't really have a backup point guard. I guess technically, on Marco Jackson would be helpful. Um, Russ Rob was a great defender.
2: So, so you just lean even more lean heavily even into the defense, into that, right? You those two guys with Kevin McCullar yeah. and Hunter Dickinson, uh, Xavier Henry. Shot the three
0: at like 40%. That's intriguing. like 13, 14 a game. Yeah, That'd that's be a nice that's, fit.
2: That's intriguing.
0: Uh, and, and the beauty of Xavier Henry is he was on a team where he was not like the first option. It he, was. It would be the same it thing. Sean Collins this and Paul Aldridge. Exactly. So you know that he'd be able to fit into a certain role. Uh, Tyrell Reed, you know, good defender, good three point shooter, good floor spacer. Same with Brady Morningstar. I think Brady was not quite as good of a shooter, but was a better defender. So you And I think with Brady, you get more of a guy who can handle the ball with Tyrell you get more of a wing type um with Elijah Johnson we know he was able to play off of another guard with uh Tyshawn Taylor I think you could argue Elijah's best year was his junior year playing next to Tyshawn Taylor and he could shoot it a little bit he could pass defend a little bit uh Connor Frank if you want to go into just all three-point shooting mode I think yeah, that would you, be kind of interesting you have one. Nick Timberlake yeah but doesn't it Help to have even more shooting, you know. I, I guess sure. Um, you could even play a lineup with with Frank Camp off the bench with Timberlake out there too. Thing
2: like, would Frank Camp even be the starter if he was on this team?
0: Would he be the fifth? Would starter? he be the starter at the two? Well, not the version of Connor Frank Camp that KU had, which was the freshman version. But if if this is based on the idea of like the Wichita State version, yeah, like his senior year, then yeah, I guess Um Kelly Ubre, if you want just some freshman talent in there, okay. a wing who's yeah. switchable. Uh, Malik Newman, Mm. knockdown shooter. He plays the two. I'm intrigued by Malik Newman. Isaiah Moss, three-point shooter. For the memes. Uh, Can we get a second Kevin McCuller? He was third-team All-Big 12 last year. No. Why?
2: Because, He hasn't been first or second-team All-Big 12. Why can't they duplicate Kevin McCuller? Because it says you can bring back any KU player. He's not off the team. He's still on the team. Last year's version of him. Bring back. No. I'm vetoing Kevin McCuller. Okay. Is there anybody I missed? I, I mean, there's there's uh, a
0: litany of bigs you could, but like it, it feels kind of pointless to me. It's to be like that, that's what, like that feels very <laughs> pointless to be like, hey, we have the center who's gonna play thirty minutes a game, but here come play eight to ten minutes when you could like be like, oh, or I could give thirty minutes a night to Kelly Oubre or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, this is a good list you put together here. Uh, the ones that I like the most are Xavier Henry. And Malik Newman. I, well, I don't know. Elijah Those are the Johnson. two I like the most. But Elijah Johnson, I think. Is yeah, having there. another guy who can handle the ball,
0: I think, would low key be really nice. Um, honestly, the Kelly Oubre one would be very interesting. Yeah, but I I don't think he shot it enough to make me want to pick that. And I think because that is a big question, we have just the, the shooting. I am tempted to go Malik Newman, but like, you could argue that it should be Xavier Henry. I I don't. I think he might be the number one pick. Here's the thing. like I don't remember enough about Xavier Henry growing up when he was at KU to recognize how good of a defender he was. Yeah. So that's sure. part of the thing here. Malik Newman was not known for being a uh, a lockdown defender. And as important as the three-point shooting is, and it is, while Malik Newman I think is the better three-point shooter... Xavier Henry is also still a really good three-point shooter. Again, Henry shot 41.8% from three on 4.6 attempts. So, I I think Newman may be a better shooter off the dribble. Henry may be a better set shooter. And so if you're asking that specific role, and with Xavier Henry, he's 6'6", which gives you more versatility for your lineup and defensively. As great as Malik Newman was in March, if you're guaranteeing me March Malik <laughs> Newman, of course it's you Malik Newman. No, 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 no. You can't just make that. Guarantee. I agree. I agree. You're getting the totality of Malik Newman, and that's the thing. Everybody, a lot of people answer this with Malik Newman, and and that's why what leaves a taste in your mouth. He was at he had a good season. He was at fourteen point two points per game. Henry was at thirteen ish. You know they're very similar. Three point percentage forty one point five for Newman. Wait, Nick Newman averaged fourteen points per game. And it's because of March. Wow,
2: he was at like twelve headed into March okay, or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. Because like in my view, regular season Malik Newman, I don't yeah. view him as being that much different from Isaiah Moss. Is that wrong? I mean, Are regular season Malik different? Newman,
0: they were they weren't not that much different. Um, I mean, I think he's I remember better. stories from KU that like they would get so mad at Malik Newman in practice because he couldn't dribble a ball straight. But it didn't matter. They just needed him to shoot and stuff. But anyway, I, I think for this specific team, because I do have questions about how are you going to defend ball screens, how are you going to defend in space if you play a team that can spread you out because you have a lurking center, I would lean toward... Because again, the numbers are very similar. Both yeah. are between 13, 14 points per game. Both are at like 41 point something percent from three. would actually goes Xavier Henry.
2: I'm locking in Xavier Henry. Okay. That's where we're going. Oh, yeah. Going
0: together. All right. Kind of uh, crazy that he wasn't second team, actually. I know. If you could make one perfect receiver from this year's group, how would you assemble them?
2: Alright, I went in the lab on this one. Route running, Luke Graham. Yes. Agreed. Uh spectacular catch or catch like catch in traffic, Quentin Skinner. Agreed. Speed, Trevor Wilson. Yes. Hands. Can I go Jared Casey? N- um No, I think we should leave it to just the receivers. Okay. Then I think I would think I'd go with Lawrence Arnold then. Okay. At that point, Arnold would be good. I think okay. Graham would be good for the hands. So, what too. am I missing? So, route running Grimm, uh, catch in traffic, spectacular catch ability, Quentin Skinner, speed, Trevor Wilson, hands, Lawrence Arnold. Am I missing anything? I mean, yard after catch ability. That
0: might be Tanaka Scott. Scott or yeah. Trevor Wilson. Well, I want Trevor Wilson speed, though. Yeah. I I think I'm think trying to think Tanaque of a way Scott. to get Doug Emelian in there, but I don't know. Doug Emelian's agility. Like he's a good route runner too, but it's like hard to. Be, I'm not gonna pick him over yeah. the rim for route running. You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah. I think that's the answer. Grim okay. route running, like catching traffic, spectacular catch. Quentin Skinner, speed. Trevor Wilson, hands, long time. Height. Quentin Skinner. You go high. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Right, yeah. You can go with height for Quentin Skinner. Yeah.
0: Uh, let's see. Who's the biggest receiver in terms of weight? Uh, this uh, dude, Mac Moeller. 210 pounds. So now you have your tallest and biggest <laughs> receiver. I guess Tanaka Scott's also 210. Yeah, Tanaka Scott's a big dude. Who's probably the best jumping receiver.
2: I really wanted my hands to be Jared Casey. Well, you wouldn't let me. I know, because it was a receiver question. Well, uh, it doesn't... Were- well, it, it The question, I think, leaves it somewhat open to interpretation. <laughs> it doesn't specifically
0: say wide receiver. It okay, just says receiver I, group. Okay, so f- then technically, by your idea... I can choose Devin Neal's yard after catch ability. No, he catches passes. No. So does Jared Casey. No, 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 no. Neither no. is a receiver. He's a, running back. Okay, no, he's a running back. Okay, and Jared Casey is a tight end. <laughs> 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 but he, but that's part of a receiver group. <laughs> yeah, and running backs catch passes. No, yes, running they back. Do. No. If you're counting tight ends, there's you can a count line running there. backs. Power of Daniel Haysha. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Adam, what would the final score between? The nineteen fifty-two national championship team and this year's walk-ons be.
2: So this is a wild question, first <laughs> of all. Uh okay. We kinda we, we briefly touched on this off air. Obviously, neither one of us were alive for the nineteen fifty-two national championship team. Sure. They have Clyde Lovellette and Clyde Lovellette averaged twenty-eight
0: and a half points, thirteen <laughs> rebounds per game. Just absolute beast. <laughs> who else is on that Bob team? Bob Kenny averaged thirteen point seven points per game as a six-two forward. Um, LaVella was listed at 6'9. I think he was closer to like 6'7, six, 6'8. Six, Bill Hoagland averaged seven points per game. Um, LaVella led them at 1.9 assists per game, so not a lot of passing going on at the time for KU. Dean Kelly, six points per game. Bill Leinhardt was uh 6'5 forward. He averaged
2: almost six points per game. Dude, what's um, wild is Claude LaVella he only got drafted ninth in the draft. He was doing that. That is interesting. Who there
0: were eight dudes better than that? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean in terms of like height so it's it's uh, Clyde Lavelle was 69, B.H. Bourne was 68, 65, 64, 63. Obviously there was no 3 point line. Hey, Dean Smith was the shortest guy on the team at 5 foot 10 from Topeka Kansas. Anyway, huh. um okay, so so here's the thing. I will say like when whenever we have these conversations about who's the greatest player of all time or who's the greatest team of all time. It, it, there there's two ways of looking at it in my opinion. There's the way of looking at it in that you should be judged based off your competition at the time because that's all we can be asked to do. Sure. And so, hypothetically, the best team of all time could be a team
2: from, you well, know, the 60s no. or 70s All or we 80s. have to do is build a time machine, and then we can just grab well, Wild no, Reavers, on, grab Dylan Willard-Height, and take them back to 1952.
0: So there's, so there's that way of looking at it where it's like, okay, from, a, from what you did, given all the surrounding circumstances and environment that you had to grow up in, you were... More dominant compared to your people Than the people of this age or that age Uh, That's how I normally view like legacy Stuff Um, But there's also the other way of looking At it where it's like Okay well the 50th best player in the NBA Right now if he did go back in a Time machine into 1950 He would be thought of as a Michael Jordan Exactly so like there's two ways of looking at that But it's like it's an unfair way of looking at it With the second way because of the fact that like okay, but that person get get like the person who goes well, back in the time machine the, has so many more things around them than the people. The 50 biggest years issue ago here but.
2: is the lack of three point line. Yes, from the 1952 team, because
0: but I think that, think that really you know you don't know. Doesn't okay, and, and that part surely depends too. Like the rules of basketball are different. Like at one point, people always clown. Uh, oh, what's his uh, Bob Cousy, the the point guard for being like, they'll see highlights of him, and he's like looking face down, watching himself dribble the basketball, (laughs) and he's like, his palms right on top. People are like, oh my gosh, you'd get crossed over like Kyrie Irving would make him, you know, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> but the rules in basketball were that you had to do that. You had to be directly above it to dribble. Really? You could not like move it to the side at all. Otherwise, you'd be called for like a carry. Huh. It was way more strict. So, like, wow. part of it is going to depend on what are the rules of this game. Is there a three point line? Is there not? Like, are those because I mean, dude, if there's a three point line, Michael Jankovic will have 40. Of course. Points. But if you go back and play in that type of style, and now every KU player is trying to cross up, show these dribble moves. They're all going to be called carryovers. You know what I mean? But in theory, in the spirit of the question, because I do actually find this very funny, if you were hypothetically just to take this group of walk-ons in the time machine version of things and bring them back into time against the 1952 national title win. team. Yes, they would win. Dylan Wilhite would be um, the same size as Hunter Clyde Dick- Lavella, if be, not bigger. Uh, he'd be Hunter Dickinson. Yeah. Now, I still think Clyde Lavella would you know, make him work, but it, it's the guards. The guards is where you'd get them, especially the three-point line, the shooting.
2: It'd be unbelievable because your because KU's lineup would be Michael Jankovic, Patrick Cassidy, uh, Wilder Evers, Wilder Evers, right Dylan Wilhite, and then I don't know who their fifth guy would be. I mean,
0: it could be Justin Cross. It could be if you want to play another guard, you could play with uh, is it Cam Carter?
2: Yeah, Cam Carter. Yeah. I mean, and Cam Carter would probably be
0: the most athletic player. Very guy athletic the court, player. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. So no, they I'd, would win. They would win. I'd say by twenty. Sure. With the three-point line, thirty. Okay, this one from Sean. Would you rather KU football finish eight and five and lose a bowl game, but oh, lose a bowl game by twenty plus points, but your one win left is K State. So you're seven and two right now. Basically he's saying, Would you rather go eight and five, your only wins K State and then you get blown out in the bowl game, or go ten and three with a bowl win, but your one loss in that span is to Kansas State by twenty plus. <laughs> Damn it, Sean. Sean, what
2: what what are we doing here? This is terrible. I mean, I think I have to stick with what I've been saying all season long. I would take the eight and five. Mmm. That's what I've been saying all season long. I feel like I have to double down on that. Do I not? I mean, I can't change now. I've been saying all season long. I'd rather have that. Hmm. I gotta I gotta put my money where my mouth is. I'm taking the eight and five. I, think- I would take the ten and three. Ten and three, the bull win. I'm still of the mindset of I don't care about the bull well, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm still of the mindset of like a bull win is like icing on the cake. Like I'm not I'm not in the mindset of if you lose the bull, I'll be like sad. Okay, so here's the thing. Unless it, well, I will say though, if if K ten and two, which obviously this 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 scenario be doesn't involve that. Yeah. Uh if KU's ten and two go into like a new year six bowl, at that point, yes. But you
0: have to beat K State to do that. I know. That's the problem. I would take the ten and three. So if you're eight and five and you lose your bowl by twenty plus, Dude, kind of a dip I, to the I, season. I
2: would not I, I would not be able to handle losing by twenty to Kansas State. I, I wouldn't I
0: be able get to handle that, it. but I mean, you'd be ten and three. You'd win every other game you play. You would win your bowl game, and at that point nine and three, you're probably in a good bowl. So you're probably beating a good team in a bowl game. And if you finish ten and three, you'll be you're, in a, if you're eight and four, you'll be in a good bowl too. I think. Yeah, but if you're if you finish eight and five, you're not finishing the year ranked. Like if, if, if you finish ten and three, you're finishing in the top twenty, maybe the top fifteen.
2: four versus nine and three, it's not a near six bowl, so it doesn't matter to me. I, I sort of
0: get to, get what you're
2: saying, but I in my mind,
0: I think it's easier to be like, okay, next season it'd be easier to reach ten or eleven wins if you had eight or nine wins the year before, than it would be. Six or seven, or whatever. you know what I mean. Well, like I'm just saying, I the think there are discernible now differences.
2: Like, if it's not a New Year's Six bowl, I don't care what the bowl is. I'll be honest.
0: But don't you think there would be a big boost for the program and, and helpful in recruiting to be like we finished the year ranked and with ten wins, a double digit win season? Well, I guess like that's a big guess, deal. That is on, a benchmark. Ten wins that, is a benchmark. I guess
2: that would de- the counterpoint would be how much of a recruiting boon is it to just beat Kansas State at that point. Locally, it's big, but not as big nationally. And
0: look where they're getting a lot of their big recruits: no, I Texas, know. Oklahoma, Arizona. You know what I mean? Sure. So I,
2: I, I think it. Definitely I think I have it. to stick with what I've been saying all season long, which is I would take the eight and
0: five. All right, last one from Greg. Tech's defense has been solid against the run, but so so against the pass. Factoring in Taj Brooks and how KU's defense has played at home, which do you think is more likely: an uh, an old school Big 12 air raid shootout? Or a track meet on the ground. Either way, I think this will be a high-scoring game.
2: Yeah, this is interesting, and it's a good question uh, because uh, I have sort of given up trying to figure out what KU is going to be doing week to week, because Andy Kolnicki does such a good job of like, kind of you know managing how KU is playing each week to where you can't really go into a game and say, okay, I'm expecting KU to run it a billion times. I'm expecting KU to throw it a lot. They've done a really good job of being balanced and mixing up game plans. So. I have a hard time figuring out what KU's going to do yeah. on Saturday. I mean, I could, you could you could convince me that KU's going to run it with Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw a bunch. You could convince me that they're going to let Dan, uh, Jason Bean have the opportunity to throw the ball a lot. I, 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 I'm I, not really sure, <laughs> to be quite honest. I think for Texas Tech's sake, I would expect Texas Tech to be probably more focused on the ground game. I know KU's coming off of a strong ground game performance uh, defensively. But I would kind of think that that's what Texas Tech will want to do, maybe establish kind of some line of scrimmage dominance early. But uh, I don't know. I mean, if KU is more effective and they're leading in the game, then Texas Tech would have to then pass. So this is a good question that, honestly, I'm not really sure. (laughs)
0: I lean toward the track meet on the ground. Tech playing on the road. You're going to want with a young quarterback. Yeah, I do think Tech will run get the, the ground way. game going. And uh, for KU, uh, like I said earlier, Tech has been good at preventing big plays in the passing game. So maybe that means you have to grind it out a little more. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Henry Greenstein joins us in 25 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein of Sports.com, Lawrence Journal World, coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. we got a bunch of KU football audio we're going to get to you throughout the show as well, including from Andy Kotelnicki and Lance Leipold, Caleb Taylor, Quentin Skinner. So stick around for all that. Of course, tonight after the show, you can uh, tune in to the KU women's basketball game. Their season opener against Northwestern State, pregame at 615 Tip-off will be at 6.30 between uh, the Jayhawks and whatever the mascot is of Northwestern State. What is the mascot? Dude, it's Do you the know? demons. It's the demons? Okay. And uh, then... Their, we... their,
2: their, mas- their logo is actually kind of scary. Mm.
0: It's a purple demon
2: head. <laughs> it scares me.
0: Uh, we also, you can listen to Hawk Talk tonight over on 105.9 KISS at 6 o'clock. Uh, by the way, today was National Signing Day. Talked about this earlier with the KU Women's Basketball team. They signed three players. I think KU's still waiting for uh signature of like Flory Badunga uh, to come in and, and I don't know, some of the other players or whatever. But uh, Rakeese Passmore signed his, and uh, because he signed his now, Bill Self can talk about him. So here's what Bill <laughs> Self said about him. When I see Rakeese on film and in person and I see a prototypical Kansas wing, he's got size, he's got strength, he's explosive, can play above the rim. His shooting is getting better and better, and he should be able to guard anyone. I think he is more one of the more – underrated players in this class, and I think he will have an impact immediately. Norm Roberts did a great job in recruiting Rakeese and his family to Kansas. Sounds pretty good. There you go. Yeah, Glowing review. (laughs) Glowing review. All right, we're going to get into our Big 12 breakdown here, and uh, I want to, we're going to do this a little different. In, In weeks past, we'll do the, you know, who had the best win, who had the worst loss, all that sort of stuff in the Big 12. The Big 12 standings right now are absolute mayhem. Texas and Oklahoma State sit at five and one, tied for first. right now that would be the big 12 title game. Then you have Kansas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, West Virginia, and Iowa State. That's five teams all at four and two, which means that basically you have seven teams in the running for a big 12 title. If we want to go further down the list, you could even say Texas Tech, even though they're three and three. Mm. I mean hypothetically if Tech beats Kansas this week and Texas in the finale win out, they go to six and three. Could there maybe be chaos? Seven and five. It doesn't matter about that. It's no, I know, but like I don't want to see a seven and five team in a championship. I agree. I'm just saying hypothetically.
2: I don't know if it's possible.
0: I don't know if it's possible either because you would need so many other teams not to. But and they probably play each other.
2: Yeah, To the point. Where I don't do. know. So, if it's I don't possible. know.
0: Maybe that makes it more likely though. Maybe it makes it to so that. What if there is like a four way tie at six and three for second, <laughs> and they're part of it.
2: You know, I, I, I don't know.
0: So we can approach that, but it doesn't sound like you want to. Okay, so uh, here's the remaining schedule for some of these schools. So for Texas, they're sitting at 5-1 and one in the conference. They're at TCU this Saturday. TCU has not been very good. They're 4-5 and five this year. You'd think they'll win that game. You'd think. At Iowa State the next week. Iowa State, again, a team you would
2: think they're going to overmatch. But
0: knowing it's college football, <laughs> could they lose one of these next two on the I road? I don't
2: think Rocco is capable of beating Texas.
0: Do you think TCU has a better
2: chance than Iowa State does of beating uh, them? No. I think Iowa no. State has a better chance. Which that tell, that should tell you I don't think either team has a chance because I don't think Iowa State can do it either.
0: Well, it's hard for me to sit here and I be like – I don't know. Like, Bleak Murphy's bad enough, yeah,
2: I think, where it's possible. That's the thing. But And
0: it's hard for me to sit here and be like um, – Free well, this yards. is the path for Kansas. They have to win out, and this team needs to lose. And, you know, you need Texas to lose because they've beaten you. Because I don't know. Because if there's a three-team tie, it's completely different than if there's a two-team tie, yeah. which is different I mean, than if there's a four-team tie. Like, it's I'm so not, hard.
2: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure what, what the tiebreakers are. Well,
0: I, I know typically what the tiebreaker is. It's, it, it's like they try head-to-head. But, head, but again, it's, but then if it's not round-robin. Since, since not everyone yeah. plays each other. I don't know. And then it runs into a thing where it's like, okay, if if we're not applying head to head, then it's going to go to who had the best record against the team, the best team who's not part of the tiebreaker.
2: Yeah, you know, I think so. I think for KU, their best path Just is win out and hope other stuff If happens. you're ten and two and seven and two in the conference, and then Texas loses a game and they finish seven and two, you're seven and two, Oklahoma seven and two, and then I think that's the path. I think if you have a three way tie there, Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. I don't but know. But what I guess going on with this.
0: Like, is it almost? Does it? Uh, what if Texas just wins out? But then Oklahoma State has to lose two games. I think. Well, they, they could get a three-way ties. Well, although but, I guess they beat Oklahoma. Maybe
2: Oklahoma too. So I and think they beat Kansas I don't. State. Exact, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think Oklahoma State would well, be hold in. They the
0: cards in all this.
2: Yeah, and right. the fact that yeah. they play the three
0: new schools to finish off. Which, by the way, I think UCF is only like three-point underdogs against
2: Oklahoma State. So, is that a a
0: Vegas know-something line? It might be, because think about it. You're going to the East Coast time zone. You're coming off a giant win over OU. There's no jet lag. Okay, but you're coming off a giant win over OU, have kind of a letdown game.
2: It could happen. It is possible. I'm not ruling it out. Mm -hmm. But they do need to lose twice, basically. Yes. That's why I think it's better if Texas only loses once. For Kansas.
0: What if Texas just loses twice?
2: <laughs> it doesn't Well, seem then like, I don't, like, I don't you know. know. I don't think that's going to happen. But anyway, they yeah. Have, they have TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, right? It's yeah. The last three games. Well, the beauty of this for Kansas playing at 11
0: a.m. this weekend is that if Kansas loses to the Tech, then you can basically just be like, okay, the Big 12 thing ain't happening. It's done. I don't have to worry about Focus it. Focus on, yeah. But if you do win the game... Then you've got Texas at TCU at 630, and you've got Oklahoma State at UCF, and you could scoreboard watch, and you can be like, okay, you're rooting for both those other teams to win. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, Texas, like I said, so at TCU at Iowa State, they could lose one of those two. I don't think they'll lose both. Tech at home, I'd imagine the floor to me feels like 2-1 there. The ceiling feels like 3-0. Oh. Yeah. Um, when you look at Oklahoma State at UCF, at Houston versus and, BYU, yeah. feels like they'll win two of those, if not all three. Yes. Would that be wild? Houston's not very
2: good you can imagine you. if they lost both on the road? Just fumbled the bag? I mean, I don't want to say that I think it's going to happen, but I can't rule it out. I mean, dude, they lost by 100 to South Alabama early in the year.
0: They, they lost, lost by 500.
2: They lost by 7,000. They lost by 9 billion to South Alabama earlier in the year.
0: Again, okay, then when you look at Oklahoma's schedule, uh, they have West Virginia at home this week. I think that'll be a get right for them. Although West Virginia has been good, and they're part of this tie, too. Then they're at BYU no. and versus TCU. So West Virginia is sneaky, the team that no one has even talked about. Not really. No. Oklahoma, um, I think will win all three of those games. So wait, West Virginia, who else? West Virginia at BYU versus TCU. Mm, I
2: don't know, man. At BYU.
0: If it's a night game at BYU, it gets a little more interesting. But what has BYU struggled with? Like the fast Mormons?
2: Games. The Mormons at night, baby. <laughs> Look uh, out. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I but. think – yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've gone back and forth because, like, do I think Oklahoma is elite? No. But they're still pretty good. Yeah. So I feel like they sh- they will probably, you know. But I will say this. If Oklahoma wins out and they don't make the title game because Texas and Oklahoma State and they get, like, a New Year's Six Bowl or whatever type of bowl, I think they would definitely lose to whoever they're playing. Like if like if Oklahoma has to play LSU, they're losing by a lot, I think, potentially. Or Ole Miss mm-hmm. or a Pac-12 team. I don't think they're winning their bowl game at that at that point. So you think they're like
0: basically the best of the good but they're not in the elite category? At all? I I would say that's accurate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, then K-State has Baylor at Kansas and versus Iowa State. So they have one of the tougher ones remaining. Kansas has one of the tougher ones remaining with Tech and Kansas State still in there. And then add Cincinnati to finish. West Virginia has at Oklahoma versus Cincinnati at Baylor. Uh, They'll probably lose at Oklahoma, but I don't know. They might win the other two. And then Iowa State has uh, at BYU versus Texas at K-State. So they have the hardest. So basically, based off the schedule, I would easily be like, okay, Iowa State, it ain't happening. West Virginia, you're probably losing this week to Oklahoma, so it ain't happening. Yep. And then outside of that, it becomes a five-man race. It becomes a five-team race between Texas and Oklahoma State, who have the upper hand with the record and kind of the schedule to finish. Um, Oklahoma probably has the schedule upper hand over Kansas and Kansas State, especially since one
2: of them will knock each other out. Yeah, I mean, ob- I mean obviously, for KU and K-State, they're going to play each other, so one of them is going to be done mm-hmm. after that. So that's what it comes down to. So it's basically a three-team race plus the winner of KU and K-State, essentially. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. With Texas and Oklahoma State being in the driver's seats. Which, you know, I I hate to bring it up, but for Kansas, now you look back at the Oklahoma State game and think, man, dude, you're right there. But regardless. of a driver's seat they'd be in right now. I mean. I know. Because at that point, they could even afford to lose one of their final. You'd basically flip-flop Oklahoma State and Kansas. Right. And give Kansas the winner, the, the tiebreaker.
0: So. That is disappointing.
2: You know what else is crazy as all this? Uh, the Big
0: 12 has seven bowl games that they have affiliations with. One of them is is technically the, the college football playoff. So I guess technically six bowl games. Normally they have the Sugar Bowl, but it's one of the semifinals this year. So, you know, I, I guess the seventh could be if one of them gets into a New Year's Six as opposed to playoffs. But anyway. they're only
2: going to have six teams that are, I mean, that are probably going to be bowl eligible. Right? I mean, they already
0: have six right now. Oh, And Iowa seven. State's only one okay, game. Okay, seven, off. seven.
2: They're going to have seven. Yeah, because I don't think Texas Tech. Is, I mean,
0: well, Tech. It, it's dependent on this week against Kansas for Tech. It
2: really. Is. And I guess BYU sitting. At, BYU
0: sitting at five and four. Yeah, BYU can get there. They can win one more. And then I mean, with TCU, if they upset Texas this week, like you know, eh. then they should get there. I don't think eh. it's gonna happen. I'm just putting that out there. I would guess they end up getting eight to nine. But either way, here here's here's basically what I, what I was getting to. They have seven bowl tie-ins. And it feels like most of the projections right now are like, oh, Kansas is going to go to the Alamo Bowl or the Pop-Tart Bowl. Which the Alamo Bowl and the Pop-Tart Bowl are the two best Big 12 bowls to get selected by outside of the New Year's Six. So the New Year Six obviously, you know, has its own. Which, by the way, Kansas coming in at number 16 in the CFP rankings last night means that if they do win out, even if they don't get in the Big 12 championship game, there's a great chance they would be in like the top 12 so to make I have that. a, I have a yeah. question
2: about that. Let's say Kansas is ten and two, Oklahoma is ten and two, but it's going to be Texas and Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve title. At that point, does who did, basically is is it the CFP rankings that determines New Year's Six, or do the New Year Six Bulls have a say, in who gets? Yeah. So it's okay. So so normally what happens is, because um, basically my concern is like if they're both ten and two, I think a New Year's Six bowl would say, "Give us the big brand, give us Oklahoma." Yeah, in which case Kansas would get screwed. So
0: so so, what happens is, it's not like the BCS. The BCS used to be yes, it was the bowl themselves picked it to pick whatever they wanted to be the most compelling matchup, and that's part of why Kansas got in over Missouri in the 08 Orange Bowl. That Lou Perkins was up ahead of the Orange Bowl after they lost the Missouri game, and spent the whole like next week basically, you know, hey, we're gonna bring so many fans, we're gonna do this and that, and, and they ended up picking Kansas, and the rest is history. The New Year's Six actually picks the 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 or I'm sorry the College Football Playoff committee picks the new year 6 now it's not done by the BCS and so what they do is instead of it with the BCS in the BCS you could only have a max of two teams per conference new year 6 they said nope
2: a- rid of that we're putting the best teams in there so you can so basically so theoretically it will depend on the CFP ranking
0: yes yeah, so theoretically Texas could make the playoff Oklahoma and Kansas, or Oklahoma State and Kansas could make New Year's Six Bowls if Oklahoma State was ranked ninth and Kansas was ranked 12th.
2: So basically so it what comes do, down to the rankings, which that makes me yes. feel good because obviously both Kansas and Oklahoma are sitting at 7-2, and two and Kansas is ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So if they're both 10-2, and two, I would have to assume that Kansas would still be ahead of them and therefore be in better position to be a New Year's Six team. Well, and so normally it does come down to, like, if you're not a playoff
0: team, there's certain bowl tie-ins, right? So, like, there's the Sugar Bowl, which is normally the one where the best team in the Big 12 who's not in the playoff gets to go to the Sugar Bowl. From that standpoint, it would be who loses in the Big 12 championship because the Big 12 is announced that's how they do it, right? But the Sugar Bowl is a semifinal this year, which means it's not an actual New Year Six Bowl, which means that tie-in is gone. So... All that the committee is worried about, they, they try to focus on the top 12 teams in the rankings for the New Year's Six. Six games times two is 12. Only nine of the 84 teams that have made New Year's Six Bowls have been lower than twelve. I a majority, of those, if not of all, are the group of five yeah. because they have the rule about the top ranked group of five. Gets yeah, in, right? i would assume that's
2: all group of five. It
0: yeah. might be all of them, to be honest. All but maybe one, or maybe all of them altogether. I don't know. How long have we been doing the playoff since 14? Yeah, like so yeah, that would be all of them. So, nine, That's nine years. Yeah, nine, yeah, nine 2014. Years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every team who's not been ranked in the top 12 that's been a power five it, team, group of five. Yeah. So, but, so if you're a power five team and you're in the top 12, you're going. Point being, yes, if you're top 12, I guess top 11, because you would say the 12th would get removed for. Group of five, hypothetically, to be the 12th, right? Okay. So if you get top 11 by the end of the regular season, whether you're in your conference championship or not, you're going to New Year's 6. So that's pretty exciting. Meaning, again, if KU wins their last three games, Texas Tech, Kansas State, which is the top 25 team, yeah, that would, I think, be enough at 10-2 and to get them in the top 11. And even if you don't make the big twelve titles
2: in New Year's 6. I'm I'm concerned that what concerns me about that scenario is that so let's say that there is a scenario where, you know, KU's ten and two, but they don't make the Big Twelve title. It's it's Texas and Oklahoma State, and you know maybe Oklahoma's ten and two also. Uh, there's enough team uh, like is is Kansas going to get overshadowed by LSU, Ole Miss? I mean they're already ahead of LSU, the, LSU now. The, the Utahs of the Ole world. Ole Miss has to play Georgia. You know, teams like right? that. I mean, are those it's teams, possible? It's possible. Are those teams going to be just over, who wins overshadowing?
0: Wins. No, it's it definitely possible. But again, ten and two and a power five like that can get you in there very much. Anyway, though, with I the seven like teams, has to with the seven teams, the fact that we're talking about Kansas, could they go to the Pop Tart Bowl? Could they go to the Alamo? Bowl, whatever, you know how easily because there are seven teams all within one game for the Big Twelve title, you could quickly go from being the Alamo Bowl to all to of a sudden being back Liberty in bowl. the Liberty Bowl or being in the guaranteed right bowl. It can happen like that right now. So, beyond the Big 12 title and the New Year's Six stuff and the rankings, no, I know. Balls obviously, playoffs, obviously like, we
2: are talking best yeah, case scenario. That there's a worst case scenario where you end up playing in the worst <laughs> Big 12 bowl tie-in too if you lose out, right? Like so much can happen. I don't at this point. Okay. Why is there not a rule that says you can't go to the same bowl consecutive years? Why is that not a rule? I don't know. That's so stupid. Okay? That is so dumb. You don't want to go back to the Liberty Bowl? No, I do not want to go back to Memphis. No offense to this great city of Memphis, but as a person who went to that bowl, I understand it was after a freak winter storm, but it wasn't really a great experience from the city perspective because they had no water (laughs) and heating. (laughs) Okay? Those are two important things when I'm booking
0: my travel. Do you have (laughs) – normally I don't even have to ask that. Do you have water (laughs) or do you have heating? Do you have air conditioning? So,
2: so, you know – I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't. Obviously, that would take KU probably finishing seven and five for that to be the case, which I think is pretty unlikely. But no, I understand your point. I mean, you're it's, right. It's if more KU, about a point I mean, of how uncertain but even everything like, is. You know, but like, but to, you know, to to extrapolate that that philosophy out, you know, if KU finishes nine and three, and Oklahoma's ten and two, K State is eight and four at that point. Whatever, maybe they don't lose out. You know. You're right. It's at the discretion of the Bulls, and maybe they might go a different direction and, and might leave Kansas in a not as great of a bull. He's Nick
0: Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Henry Greenstein, Sports.com, joins us next. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Talk some KU football and KU basketball. There was a uh, board meeting, I guess, earlier today. Bill Self, Travis Goff, and a bunch of important people were, were out there at the event. Henry, what was, uh, I guess, your biggest takeaway from what was said or, or I guess, a, a quick summary of what went down earlier today?
1: Yeah, it was a real bonanza. There was a, there was a basketball media availability with Bill Self, and Travis Goff was there, and we talked to him. And then there was a board meeting after it, and a bunch of people added on to that. So plenty to consider. Um, I think it was it was interesting to hear Bill Self say he was on the back three or four, not even just the back nine of his career. Um, you know, I, I, I thought the contract news yesterday was pretty interesting in the way that it elevated him to be the highest paid in the country and also in some of the minutia of kind of how a certain chunk of what was initially reported as his, as his salary was actually payments dating back to the prior contract. Uh, one of the big topics of conversations today with, with Travis and at the media ability was to what extent did the timing of the IARP play into this? And it sounded like they've really been having conversations about this possibility of, of looking into the contract since like, the end of March. I, I think Travis said like late spring, heading into the summer, when he talked about it at the board meeting later on. So just interesting to hear about how long this has been in the works and specifically how it differs from the lifetime contract he had already signed. Now he's again signed for the life. So there we go. All
0: right. Well, uh, over to KU football where Jalen Daniels did not make the trip to Ames last week. And uh, on Monday when we heard from Lance Leipold, he said that he was watching practice, which to me implies that he did not practice. What is uh, the updated number on the Jalen Daniels worry scale?
1: I don't even know if worry is the right word anymore. That's the thing. It, it, it's more of just a Jalen Daniels. I, I, I don't know if it can really be described as a worry scale anymore. At this point, I, it's more of just a confusion scale for me, because to me, it's like, how long can you really go on saying we, we are not going to redshirt him? We have no plans of doing so when he can play in one more game. And if he plays in no more beyond that, that could count for a red shirt. Like, it's no longer a highly impractical suggestion to say that Jalen Daniels could preserve another eligibility year for this season. I don't know if he'd end up using that year. Uh, That's a different conversation. But it's no longer like some outlandish thing to suggest that that redshirting him would be a possibility. I I wonder if they want to see if the NCAA issues another blanket waiver for bowl games like they did last year, which allowed a lot of freshmen who were registering to participate in bowl games. But, yeah, I don't know if I even have a number on the worry scale anymore because, you know, Bean's been playing well enough, and you'd obviously like to have Jalen Daniels back. But at this point, I'm sort of just puzzled uh, by how KU has chosen to publicly address the matter.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, very interesting. So do you think it would make sense for Jason Bean to just be the starter the rest
1: of the way? Oh, man. That is tough. I, I, I'll i say this. So, Jay, Jason Bean just played his most mistake-free game that I think anyone can remember. I mean, he did try to throw to Jared Casey in triple coverage at one point, which he, uh, which he has been known to do, and he also didn't run for that first down and tried to throw to Haisha, but generally his most mistake-free game. So, I totally understand the viewpoint. However, I do think if there's any chance you can get Jalen Daniels back, you want to, I mean, you want to give him a chance to, to just, to, to show kind of the extraordinary ability he did against Illinois and, and elevate the team to maybe another gear. So There's one thing I know about his coaching staff. They're not really content with being exactly the same as they've been from week to week. And I think if you get Jalen back and he's healthy, you have a chance to elevate the team even further. I, I just, I understand from that perspective why they wouldn't want to rule him out for the rest of the season. But I also can hold the contrasting idea in my mind that you're now at a point where redshirting him is like a very realistic possibility.
0: Well, uh, there was some, I don't know, rumors going around about more of the Lance Leipold, Michigan State stuff, so I guess we should update that worry scale as well. What is uh, the updated worry scale for KU fans about Lance Leipold leaving for another job, i.e. Michigan State? Uh,
1: I... I still don't feel too worried about it it doesn't it doesn't line up for me. I think I said like a two before, maybe like a three with with how well they've been doing. I just I don't see the fit for him with this particular job. I understand it's the Big Ten, I understand it's the marquee program. I know they were in the college football playoff before like eight years ago. And I get all that, and it is still the Midwest and a region he's familiar with. I understand all that, but he seems really committed to Lawrence and to building up this program further. It kind of goes along with what I just said like I don't think he wants to plateau, but I don't think you need to go to another school in order to keep growing. I mean there's many there's much more growing for Kansas to do. Um, the sense I got from Travis Goff today was that there they haven't been like concrete talks about revising Lightfold's contract further, especially with the timing during the season. That was sort of Travis' explanation as to why that hadn't been going on is you don't want to let that get in the way of what's going on at this home stretch of the season. But he also said, you know, Lance has been extremely valuable program and that he understands why any athletic department with half a brain, I believe that is what he said, half a brain, would, would want to consider him. So uh, I, I would not be surprised to see a further extension and raise for Holt's contract, even though. Goff didn't really give any indication that there were talks undergoing in that domain. I feel like things are trending in that direction and I am not overly concerned about the prospect of him going elsewhere.
0: Overall KU wins in Iowa state 28 to 21 last Saturday. What to you was the most impressive part about that victory for the Jayhawks?
1: Uh, I think it was twofold in, in kind of a symmetrical fashion. They, didn't get run over, and they were able to win without running over the opponent. I think it's really that simple. Now, Iowa State, not an exceptional rushing attack. They had not had a single 100-yard rusher all season, and I believe in the I era, KU's like 2-14 and 14 when they allow a 100-yard rusher, so I, I kind of had a sense from early on that that was going to be the defining line between a win and a loss, and, and they rose to the occasion and even more impressive they did it without really much from, from, you know, the usual suspects of like Tommy Dunn and, and Devin Phillips clogging up things in the middle. So, yeah, really impressive work from DJ Withers and, and Caleb Taylor and Gage Keyes against the run and stronger performances than we've seen of late from Rich Miller and Craig Young. And then the other side, you know, Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw, they fight for every yard, but even so, it was and even before they lost 13 yards on Neal Down or whatever it was, sub-100-yard performance in total, um, but like I said, Bean did what he needed to do and more. He made some pretty remarkable throws, including the one to Luke Graham early in the game over the shoulder, and that was really story for me. They, they stopped the run, and even though their running game was stopped, they still did well on offense.
0: Well, if if that's the stat, two and fourteen uh, or somewhere around there, when uh, he gives up a hundred yard rusher for the other team, I don't know if that's just the KU or all time, but uh, certainly that that raises my eyebrows with Texas Tech coming into town Saturday with uh, Taj Brooks, who has over a thousand yards rushing already this season. So uh, maybe that becomes key number one. Like, what what do you think the biggest keys for KU beating Texas Tech this Saturday are going to be? Yeah, that's
1: that's precisely what I would say. It's can those backup DTS continue to hold up against a team with a running back who is now top 10, I believe in the country in rushing yards and is number one in missed tackles, which is particularly eyebrow raising with some of the issues KU was had in that domain, not at Iowa state. I mean, the Iowa state, and even if they did miss tackles at Iowa state, they had like three people swarming to the ball in every play. I guess that's the key is to, is to get the same level of pursuit they showed at Iowa state. So, you can pretty reliably count on Brooks making one guy miss. I think he has like 68 missed tackles against him this year. And there's only a few other rushers, or even over 50. Um, but if you have a bunch of other guys around the ball, it doesn't really matter as much when one guy misses a tackle. So I would say, yeah, continue to show the same pursuit that they have in their best performances but between like BYU, the BYU game and the Iowa State game. Um, besides that, I think that uh, Bean's going to have to keep – maintaining the standard of play you can't give a team that can score instantly as they can as Texas tech can with its tempo like free possessions so yeah b needs to continue to play mistakes free like he did last week
0: we're talking with henry greenstein kusports.com lawrence journal world uh, switching back to some ku basketball here ku dominates nc central 99 to 56 from a long-term perspective because obviously as we know you know uh, they they were expected to win big. They did win big. So, you know, that game's not going to be talked about three, four, five months from now when they're evaluating what seed is Kansas going to be getting or anything. But uh, was there anything that happened in the game, whether it was the performance of an individual player or something the team did as well as a whole, that you think was the biggest positive for them in a long-term perspective?
1: Um, well, the immediate thing that stands out to me is Hunter Dickinson the fast start he got off to with those immediate seven points that forced a timeout, the way that, as you would hope he would, he was thriving off the crowd and how charmed he was post game by the crowd. And which of course probably so many to say, well, just wait until UConn's here, just wait until Mizzou's here. And I think it, it's really that sort of symbiotic relationship between him and the fans and Alan Fieldhouse will be very uh, pivotal to his production as, as the season goes on. But yeah, just beyond that, just getting to see him be dominant again, uh, to the level that you'd hope for for a player of his caliber was one thing that really stood out to me. And then also, not as much in the second half, but the defense being really tight, like orders of magnitude greater than they had in either of the exhibitions.
0: Uh, they get Manhattan on a Friday, so we'll see who the starter is there because Bill Self kind of said in the post-game that, uh, you know, for now it, it won't be Johnny Furphy because of some of the missed time in, in the preseason stuff. Long term, though, who do you think is the best fifth starter option? Would it be Furphy? Would it be one of the two guys they're, they're kind of going with right now? Who, who do you think is the best long-term option uh, to be the last starter?
1: Yeah, it sounded hearing from Self today like he probably will stick with Omarco as a starter for this next game, um, which I don't know. I, I, I respect that. Uh, I, I think Kimberwick played better than he did against North Carolina Central, but Small sample size. Long term, though, I'm starting to come around to the Furphy of it all. I mean, seeing him out there, he's an excellent passer. He has great timing on his cuts. These are all things we knew. But to see them, to see him gel with the rest of the team and to see them come to fruition on the court is an entirely different thing. And this is what I've been saying with Furphy since the beginning. It's all about whether he can truly mash up to the stratospheric levels of hype intended for him. And as everyone keeps saying, he needs to continue to work on his body But that's precisely why I think later in the season, a more appealing option he becomes. And El Marco is obviously a sky-high talent as well, uh, so it'll be tough to make a decision. But I'm starting to come around to the idea of a Furphy starting lineup. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've kind of turned on that too. I mean, didn't know what to expect kind of early in the season uh, from everything in that regard. Uh, Tonight's also the uh, KU Women's Basketball season opener. They're taking on Northwestern State. Uh, just, just from a season-long perspective, uh, what's going to intrigue you most this season from Brandon Schneider's team in KU Women's Basketball?
1: Uh, well, one obvious answer is how quickly will Samaya Nichols adjust to the rigors of the college level, especially given that she's kind of playing out of position. My understanding is she's going to be playing inside more than she, she may have in the past, even though she really does have kind of a point guard skill set. And just how does she gel with the established core? And again, by all accounts, extremely well i think we'll start to see that tonight but that's one thing um how does town and jackson continue to grow her game we already know what she can do in so many areas she's expressed a desire to become a better shooter and brandon schneider sort of indicated that's a skill she needs to hone to to play professionally to play the next level um but you don't want to detract from the shot blocking and the inside finishing that's made her so strong and the rebounding and all the things you already know and all the things that got her onto a national player of the year watch which this super impressive for a Kansas player, by the way. But so, yeah, that, those are the two things that stand out to me right away. Um, a third thing that I think we don't hear about as much from this team is just who contributes from the bench and exactly how much, because it feels like it's kind of unclear exactly how many minutes those transfers will be in for and in what position.
0: And uh, com. you guys got all sorts of stuff going down right now covering uh, all the KU action from football to basketball and, and everything in between. Uh, what do you guys got going on? What are some of the things that people should check out right now at uh, KUSports.com?
1: Yeah, look out for, for our women's basketball writer Avery's coverage of tonight's season opener. She'll have coverage all through the season, so I'm really excited to have her on board for that. That's the main thing that comes to mind, and hopefully this evening, when I can finally start churning stuff out, I will have stories from uh, all three of the different things that I attended and covered today. So, we'll keep an eye out for those as well. It's it's such a busy time, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, Lots going on, but uh, keeps us all busy, which is uh, positive. Well, Henry, appreciate the time as always, man. Have a great rest of your week.
1: All right. Thank you. You too.
0: All right, that's Henry Greenstein, KUSports.com, Lawrence Journal World, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is RCST. We're going to get to some uh, Andy Kolenic audio coming up next.